Hi everyone, this is Thath, and I'm joined here today by Will Evans. Hello. And Jonathan Blakey. Hello. Uh, Tom, despite going to the game on Tuesday, is not available. I wish Mauro hadn't been playing recently, because then I could have made a little joke about him being benched uh, for my... Um, who's been performing really badly recently, gents, in midfield? Everyone. <laughs> I heard everyone from Jonathan. I didn't hear what Will said. Ryan Watson. Okay, there you go. So Tom, despite going to the game on Tuesday, has been Mauro Valletti benched for my uh, Watson midfield performance. So, yeah. But now Mauro's playing, so it's kind of ruined my joke. So this is all in vain. Um, I should probably start by saying that we are still on Twitter, at uh, Barnet underscore podcast. Um, and you may have noticed that the service on there was much better on Tuesday. That's what happens when Tom goes to games. Um, Will, what's your excuse for not providing press officer level coverage of uh, games? I'm normally busy doing the commentary, to be fair, for at least half of them. And the rest of the time, I just don't want it, to be honest with you. There we go. <laughs> I don't want it was, was, was the answer I was looking for. Um, and... Sure, we have a website that's up. It's officersclubpod.com, but it's not quite ready yet. I'm still working on it. Um, and for any nerds out there like myself who care about this sort of stuff, it's open source and it's on GitHub. Um, so, early door plugs out of the way. Um, should we start with the game on Tuesday, gents? Yeah, let's go, yeah, for, go it. for it. Cool. So, uh, Jonathan, do you want to start and give us your thoughts? Hmm. Tuesday looked like it was going to be glorious and going to be the turning point of the season for the first 65 70 minutes then it all collapsed went away really i don't know what happened it was all going swimmingly well deservedly went in front just after half time probably should have been in front before half time in all fairness johnny kinde missed a hat full of chances in the first half jordan nicholson could have put us one nil up after two or three minutes um and yeah Santos bulleted home a header from a corner, which is delightful to see because that never happens this season. Only a second corner we've scored from all season. Uh, and then we get the penalty. Um, John Akinde, normally so reliable from penalties, just had a mad moment, didn't he? And I, he just blazed it right over the bar. Possibly the worst penalty I've ever seen him take. Uh, then we made a very bizarre substitution. Well, they made three three substitutions in one go actually and all three of them seemed to change the game um, they got an equaliser for a very very unfortunate error from Craig Ross there was no need to come charging out of his goal like that uh, and just made the strikers mind up for him really just said right poke it beyond me and you got a goal there you go and then we made a very bizarre substitution just after that I think it was when he took off Mauro Valete who was by far and a mile the best player on the pitch from Barnett's point of view uh, and the crowd let Westby know that uh, there was a few boos that I heard in commentary and then it, yeah we just fell apart after that didn't we the late uh, two late goals one of them Charlie Clough just got he just got left behind really by the winger and the substitute put it in and then the late free kick was just a joke of a goal to concede really so all going so well and then ended up in just sheer misery that's the way to sum it up isn't it strong start that's good um will do you have anything you want to add or correct from what jonathan has said um no very well well summarized by jonathan i think it was um it was a really good i thought it was a really good performance for the vast well i don't want to say the vast majority of the game but let's say the first sort of two thirds three quarters i mean it was so good that i just couldn't imagine that we were going to lose that game i was if, if you'd asked me at half-time, I would have been pretty devastated with a draw, let alone a 3-1 defeat. Um, but it just shows you, when, when you're a team at the bottom and you've been losing games all season, that must sort of wear you down. 
and it, and it must wear your confidence down. And I wonder, like, they, they just look so fragile that, that that combination, that unfortunate combination of missing the penalty and then very soon after to have that goalkeeping error, it just seemed to sort of, yeah, just drain everything out of them. And suddenly they, they looked a shadow of the side that they that they were. And it, it left you at the end of the game with this really odd set of emotions where you couldn't really be annoyed about the performance. It was just like sheer disappointment because, yeah, they had played well for so long and then suddenly, yeah, to come away with nothing was, was devastating, really. Okay, so um, again, just to stress for the final time, I wasn't there on Tuesday. Um, a couple of things that, despite not being there, that I actually carried away from the experience, if that makes sense. So the first, as we've said before, we have a, a WhatsApp group and we share a lot of voice notes. Um, Jonathan and Tom's voice notes after the game, after the game, sorry, were the most despondent I've heard. Um, they, were, they were, you know, they were genuinely sad voice notes. Both, both sounded like broken men. And I just thought that was really interesting. Jonathan, did you think that was the mood from everyone in the stadium on Tuesday? Yeah, yeah, I think it was. It, it was. It's hard to describe, to be fair. It was one of those things where, at full time, I'm sure I'm not the only one that just sort of sat in their seat just looking out on the pitch and just thinking, what has just happened? That's where exactly is, where what we did as well. Where has this disaster just come from? Because it was going so well. No one saw it happening at all. Yeah. And it was almost as if, once the penalty was missed, everyone just lost their head. Everyone just sort of went, oh, straight away to panic mode all of a sudden. I, I can only assume that's what Craig Ross was thinking or had going on in his head when he came rushing out to try and claim that ball because the striker wasn't exactly free from the centre-back. And whoever the centre-back was, I can't remember who, they would have had the strength and they're quite pacey centre-backs, Sweeney and Santos. They probably would have just about done enough to put him off a shot and whether or not they would have done that to a good effect. Craig Ross is quite a good shot stopper, so there's still a chance he might save that. Yeah. But it, it was just, yeah, everyone just sort of sat there thinking, what's just happened? Because it was going so well. I think I suppose that's what happens to your confidence when one thing goes wrong. Everyone seemed to drop their heads. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned that. So uh, from my um, my personal experience at the Hive this season, I saw something a bit similar. I think it was the game against Grimsby I saw, the game where first half we looked really good. And then second half, we just seemed to kind of panic and collapse. And I remember voice noting uh, Tom and uh, Tom definitely, and saying that it just seemed like the experienced players hadn't really stepped up and, and used their experience to get us through the game. Um, talking about this this game though from Tuesday, will we're talking about you know a turning point, heads dropping. Do you think there was a specific turning point in this game? Yeah, I think it was the Akindi penalty miss. I think that if well, I mean it's blindingly obvious really, but if he'd scored that. Um, you're two nil up. You're generally confident at defending a two nil lead, and I think that would have, you know, most players when when you go into the lead like that and you're a comfortable lead, then you um you play a lot more freely and and generally sort of see out the game in a more comfortable fashion. As it was, like having that snatched away from from them, I think that that really had a big impact. I know there's a lot of people would probably argue that the um, Mara Valetti's substitution was a real turning point in the game, but I'm I'm not sure it was. I thought I, I, my feeling was that the damage was already done, and what the Valetti sub did was to take away the opportunity to correct it. If that makes sense, like you know, Valetti would have been a really key player to have on the pitch to try and turn things around. But I don't think that would, that that sub was actually the reason why we why the game turned. If you sort of mean. Yeah, no, it was. Sorry, Jonathan, carry on. It it was the penalty miss that changed the game for me because as soon as that penalty went over from where I sit on my commentary in the east stand I was looking at it and I could, just, 
could see it, but then you could also out in the corner of your eye, you could see the suspension or just almost instantly after that penalty went over, Keith Curl turned around to the bench and went, right, you lads, get ready. The three lads took their jumpers off and they were stripped and ready and they came on the pitch within a minute or two and it was three substitutions, all very attacking substitutions. They changed the game because one of them went on and scored quite soon after coming on. And we reacted to that and took our best player off in Mara Valete to put someone... I can't remember who came on, but supposed, supposedly it was going to be someone who uh, would be up the pitch, further up the pitch a little bit more. And you took away Maravillete's defensive cover and help for Charlie Clough. And you can you can only imagine that second goal they scored. That wouldn't have happened if Valete was helping Clough out. So, so, see, I don't really know how to react because um, the reaction, Jonathan, from yourself and from Tom was so strong that I, I have no doubt that it was a horrible game in the, by the end of it. Um, and you guys are describing the turning points so well. It just seems so baffling. You know, as someone who wasn't there, for the first hour of a game to be going seemingly really well, and then to concede three goals in the last... Was it was it, it, was, it was all from the 70th minute onwards, wasn't it? The, the, yeah, in the last 20 minutes. Yeah, last 20 minutes. To, to concede three goals... I mean, to concede three goals at home is... You know, import is is cannot be overlooked to begin with. But to concede three goals at home in the last twenty minutes is very rare. To concede the three three goals in the last twenty minutes of a home game, where for the first sixty you were playing well, it just it boggles my mind. And I, th- I feel like because I wasn't there, I can't quite comprehend what happened. Um, so a penalty miss aside, um, we I think one thing that I think everyone's kind of raised is about the potential mental fragility of the squad. Um, Will, as, as an optimist who's very strong-minded in his positivity, do you want to try and uh, armchair psychologist this one for me? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's definitely down to mental fragility. I think uh, it's not about fitness because we've seen since Graham Westley's come in, I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about his regime so far later, but we've seen how the confident, uh, fitness of the squad seems to have shot up. You know, we were finishing games really strongly. We won late on against Notts County. We... Um, yeah, we were the ones pushing for the the winning goal against Accrington Stanley. I don't think it's a fitness issue at all. It was definitely mental. Um, and I think that comes from two things. I think it's from sort of the damage, if you like, of conceding so many late goals across the season and just being in a winning and in a losing team for a lot of the season. But also, it's about not having enough leaders in the squad. Um, and it's not at, at, at during the uh, the transfer window around Christmas. You know, the optimum thing to do when you're in a relegation battle is to bring in experienced pros who, you know, they've been there, they've done it before, they can sort of pull the rest of the team up by the bootstraps, if you like, and sort of, you know, hold on to a result or gain a result. And instead, what we found ourselves with is a couple of loanees who essentially can't get into the into the first team. And one player who looks very young and sort of struggling to impose himself on the game in uh, Nicholson, you know, that's not going to improve things in terms of the team's mentality. And I think that's a... That's a real issue going forward for the rest of the season. It's not an issue we can do anything about, but I think you know we've got a lot of youngsters, we've got a lot of players who aren't really sort of natural leaders, and that's that's a you know going to be a real challenge. Yeah, that's a good point, Jonathan. Do you have anything you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, what Will's just said. I mean, you you said he's the optimist, and it didn't sound very optimistic. What Will just said to me, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, I've I've sort of said to myself that I don't want to keep on bringing it up. Um, but I'm going to refer back to it anyway. I'm an experienced fan of relegation battles because I support, uh, I'm a Sunderland fan. Um, and have been seen Sunderland get relegated last season and what looks like we're going to get relegated this season into League One. What happened the other night in conceding three goals in a game just completely turning so quickly? To me, 
that is only a trait of teams that are going to go down. And I hate to say that, but it, it, it's happened a few times with Sunderland where you just think, right, we're going to go, we're going to cruise to the end, but all of a sudden you, you're just smacked in the face with this. I, no I, I, I words must, to describe it. No, I think even, I mean, you're discussing that as a fan, but as, you know, playing football in the in the playground at secondary school or, um, you know, playing Sunday league, coaching Sunday league, whatever. I think everyone has that, you know, it can feel like sometimes if you're playing against a team that's really good, for example, you can hold on for 60 minutes, but the competition is a bit of a, of a facade and then, you know, they'll score one and that's it. You, you know, you might have to open up or whatever. I'm not saying that's what happened in this game, but I'm just saying that sometimes Times, you know whether it's confidence or a knowledge that you're not as good or whatever it may be once that first goal goes in you just you're just being washed away with the tide um and i remember p- personally thinking that earlier in the season i think i mentioned it earlier in the season not sure if i did in the pod or not so uh, <laughs> i can't get, take too much credit but i remember thinking that it didn't look like there was a lot of of battle in our squad and for all we talk about uh, you know modern football league two can be a bit base at times and in League Two, if you haven't got, you know, the whole 110% effort and, and stuff like that, I think, you know, those basics are the foundation of professional football in the lower leagues in England. If you're lacking them, it can be a real struggle. And so, for my opinion, I don't want to go on and on about Rossi. I really like Rossi. Um, I think his management style and the, the method of football we're playing nullified any um, mental fragility within the squad because we had a lot of possession so on and so forth and I think if you try and then turn it into a Graham Wesley seems to want to play battling football and if you try to uh, play battling football with players that aren't necessarily battlers I think this is what happens potentially Um, Will would you say I'm on the right track there or would you disagree? I I might disagree in a sense because I think that I'm not sure Rossi's style of football did nullify him the weakness in the mental weakness in the squad. Um, I mean, yo, we lost a lot of goals. We conceded a lot of late goals and lost a lot of games in that way. Um, I think that I think probably what happened when it came to the recruitment in the summertime was that to aid the style of football that we wanted to play under Rossi, we recruited a lot of players who had the right technical ability, but maybe didn't have that kind of battling quality you're talking about. Um, Whereas, you know, when you have teams that play the more rugged style of football, sort of a Martin Allen or a Graham Wesley style, um, you tend to pack the teams for those sort of tough tackling players like big men. And often they might lack the skill, but you do get the the mental side of the game. People who are real determined kind of winners, you know, and I, and I think that might have been, been part of the issue because I, I certainly think there is a... Well, I mean, I, I, it's, it's hard to see, but I can't I, they, I can't see how there can't be some mental issue if they're conceding so many late goals and you know, looking so mentally weak throughout the whole season. That's, uh, that's fair. I think just one thing I would like to clarify, again, whether I'm wrong or right, and uh, Jonathan, I'll let you correct me in a minute. Um, I, under Rossi, I felt like the reason that we weren't finishing games as well was more because the squad was so injury depleted that players were getting exhausted earlier because they'd been overplayed. That's how I'd read it, and I feel like that's what we were saying at the time, whether that was just because we were naive to the mental fragility at the time. But I feel like that's what we were saying. Um, Jonathan, do you uh, agree, disagree? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with what you were saying. I mean, we were, there were so many injuries at that point, weren't there, when Rossi was in charge that he was, he was bodging together a team of very young players and asking them to play men's football for league in League Two, which is a huge step up for these players. And then 
uh, see our 90 minutes on a regular basis or Saturday, Tuesday, you're bound to make mistakes, you're bound to lose confidence, you're bound to lose games. And that's what we all saw. That's what happened. But going back to what Will said earlier, it it is, I think we've missed a massive trick with uh, not recruiting someone experienced in January, especially because essentially we've had three managers this season, but it has been the same team throughout the whole season. It's been the same dressing room. There's been no one to come into the dressing room and think and look around and speak up and say, right, this isn't right here. Because you've got three players. I think the oldest one of which in January, or four players, sorry, in January, I think the oldest one of which is 20, 21. They're not going to be able to speak up and say, this isn't right, this isn't how it should be, and convince everyone to behave in a different way. We, I look back into the conference winning season, and there might have been a, a few injuries that forced the signing, but we made a very clever signing, if I remember correctly. I don't think he got a lot of credit. I think a lot of people probably think uh, he, he wasn't that good of a player, and probably wasn't. But in the dressing room, you forget how just important he could be, actually. Um, that was a signing of David Hunt. He was a, what, 30-odd-year-old midfielder slash fullback, and he wasn't very talented, but he was just sort of a, a calming influence, I think. Whenever you watched him on the ball, he just sort of played it safe. Um, and you think in the change room, if he was around young players or a Sam Togwell was around these young players, they would watch him on the pitch. And whenever the game is so frantic and so energetic and it's all going, Sam Togwell would just play this nice, casual, calm, relaxed pass out. And everyone would take a breath and remember where they are on the pitch. And in the change room, when things are getting down, Sam Togwell or whoever else experienced in the change room could throw an arm around one of these young players and say, look, there's a long way to go. We could sort this out. We just need to stay calm, not panic, and learn things as we're going along. Look at me. I'm going to lead by example. I expect you guys to follow along. We didn't do that in January, did we? We didn't go out and get anybody experienced. Didn't go out and get anybody who's going to come in and change things. Michael Nelson is experienced, but he's passed it on the pitch. I think John Akinde is not the same this season. I think someone said to me after the game that that penalty that John Akinde missed was his fourth missed penalty out of his last five, which is a frightening stat. Yes, yeah, I don't know where I'm. I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just going on a bit of a rant here, but <laughs> it's it's. I'm getting. I'm depressing myself again. I'm starting to feel myself going to the way I was making that. <laughs> Let me voice guide note. you away. Let me guide you away. That's fine. So <laughs> we, we're kind of touching on personnel and recruitment in uh, in January. Before we do that, I think we need to touch on management because that is a change. You know, we're talking about the lack of change in January, if you like. I know we're talking about these loan signings, but let's be honest, they're a bit Mickey Mouse. But the big change we made was Graham Wesley. Um, so I've made it clear that <clears throat> I'm not really a Graham Wesley fan. I want to ha- say, on, on sort of this subject, I want to say that it strikes me that Graham Wesley is a fantastic talker. So the things that he's saying, and he did that fantastic interview when he first joined that people said, like, really bought into, I think he, I agree with what he said. Um, I think he understands, I, I, like, I fundamentally agree with what he's saying. You know, we are playing against League Two opposition every week. On paper, our squad is better than relegation and I know I'm not the one who, who you know is blinded by optimism I really don't if this squad wasn't playing for Barnet Football Club I, I would say like this squad is not is not going to go down I know we're now in that in that danger zone of too good to go down but just as a as a you know take away the context I really do think this is a more than adequate League 2 squad injuries and everything else um, accepted um but Graham Wesley has said all these positive things well he he started saying positive things and he has continued it but it's 
still not quite working um, and I think the fans are starting to turn on Wesley from what I understand uh, the fans were quite upset with Mauro being taken off in the last game and then at the end some fans choosing to let Wesley know they weren't happy about it I think the one of the most controversial things as I alluded to at the very very start is that Ryan Watson seems to be getting 90 minutes all the time uh, while Mauro who it happens every time is now benched Will what do you think of that? God so many so many things to address from that I think <laughs> Um, right, first of all, um, I, I, I want to sort of eat my own words, so to speak, because I was really critical in a previous pod about the appointment of Graham Wesley. And I've been really impressed by him since he's been here. Um, and for, for a number of reasons, I think he's got the team fit. He's got them organized. Um, there actually looks like there's some sense of cohesion and structure there. Um, he might not always have picked the pick the best team but he, I think he's learnt quite quickly there were certain players you know, like Valetti for example yes that was a mistake to take him off but don't forget that he wasn't even involved in the team in the first couple of games and Wesley's obviously seen the error of that and introduced him back into the starting lineup. Um, there's nothing to suggest that he won't learn from this same mistake and not not sub off Valetti so early next time you know it what we forget is he hasn't been at the club that long. It does take managers some time to learn about their squad and really understand the the qualities of it. You know, people have um, every manager that's come in seems to have not Mauro and not you know not wanted him in the side. And then they've learned the error there ways. Well, Wesley seems to be learning quicker than most. Um, I think he's getting the best out of players in positions that we wouldn't have thought were their natural strengths. You know, using Nichols as a sort of foil for a kidney in a couple of games uh putting down sweeney at center back who you know despite some sort of issues with his with his temperament has excelled there um just because we collapsed in that one game it, do- it doesn't mean that you should that wesley should be hammered for it in my opinion and there are a lot of fans around me in the west end who are you know really angry at the end of the game you know you're useless wesley get out of our club all this kind of thing and that's not what i've seen since he's since he's taken over in fact it's him being in charge that's given me more confidence that we'll get out of this as opposed to anything else i think that's a a really well measured response uh, and i like it i actually would agree with most of what you're saying but to expand on that so if you take away the furore of graham wesley first joining um to expand upon what you've just said the thing the small things like the benching of mauro the fact that dan sweeney is playing as a center-back and again i'm not watching the game so take with a pinch of salt but just from like my own footballing experience for what it's worth i just i you can have a centre-back who's amazing for 89 minutes, right? But centre-backs, as with goalkeepers in a bit of a cliche, if, if a centre-back has a mistake in him, he's a concern. You can ask um, Arsenal fans about Koscielny, for example, when he first joined Arsenal. He looked amazing in, in some parts, but would have a mistake in him, and that was a concern for every Arsenal fan, and therefore the joke of every other Premier League fan. And... Um, Sweeney, from what I'm hearing, is playing really well and doing some things really well. I was there for his first game as a centre-back, and I thought he performed okay for mo- for some parts. But I also thought there were times when it, you could just tell he wasn't a centre-back. Um, so I think those those small mistakes are the ones that are costing us points, effectively. And I think that for everything that Wesley's done, which is positive, I think that those small things are therefore costing us points, which is, makes it a big thing. Um, can, I, can I interject uh, very quickly yeah, just yeah, to come back? I, I understand what you're saying, and I, and I do think there's a real risk with Sweeney in terms of him having a having a mistake in him. But you've got to remember that Wesley's as hamstrung by the poor recruitment as all the other managers. So 
you know, we didn't bring in a good experienced centre-back. We already know that Clough and Santos don't work well as a defensive pairing. So when Wesley's putting Sweeney in at centre-back, yeah, you're right, there's, there's, there's the risk of him making the mistake. But it's not like he has an alternative better option because we haven't brought in the better options, if that makes sense. I, I, yeah, you're right. I think there's two things in my head that happen in response to that. The first one is that on Wesley, I think he's better as a manager than uh, McGee was, but certainly, and potentially better with a better squad than Rossi was, but still not good, I think, is, is the problem in my head. I think he's talking very, very well. I don't think that um, things are happening at the rate that ha- they need to happen out on the pitch. Whether that's his fault or not is obviously a subject for debate, and someone should think of a podcast to do that, I suppose. Um, and the second thing is that I think that not just Sweeney, but these other small decisions ultimately are his and they're costing us. Um, that's sort of my concern, I'd say. Jonathan, do you want to weigh in? You're welcome to agree with me and, and tell Willie's wrong, but I have a feeling it's not going to go that way. Yeah, it's not <laughs> going to go that way. Um, yeah, just like Will, I mean, you could say, yeah, Dan Sweeney, I agree with you. He looks okay as a centre-back and since you last saw him play, he seems to be getting better and better with each game that comes along, which is a great thing but he still does look like he's got a mistake in him he still looks to somewhat of a liability at times but i mean charlie clough isn't going to have any less of a mistake in him we've seen him play all season and he i mean the the amount of examples i could bring up where charlie clough has cost us games not sound like i'm hating on charlie clough but he's makes he's made some costly errors as have other players in this team he's only got to work with what he's what what he's got um one thing with Dan Sweeney, though, if if centre-back is his position for the future and he plays a lot of games as a centre-back, he's going to see a lot of red cards. He is so aggressive as a centre-back. He needs to find find a way somehow of just being as aggressive, but just in a little bit more of a subtle way. He he's I mean, he got booked against Accrington on the weekend for just punching the ball out of someone who was about to take a throw-in. He just punched the ball out of their hands. Sorry, like actually, Jonathan, just to, just to clarify that again. When you say aggressive, do you mean as in actual aggression, like, you know, you just said punching a ball out of someone's hands. Do you mean actual aggression, or do you just mean, like, he's trying to make tackles that a midfielder can make in the middle of the pitch, but, a, you know, a centre-back can't do on the edge of the box? Which of the two do you mean, or is it both? No, it's it's not like he's diving into tackles that he can't win. Okay. It's more like every defender does it, and lots of big lump strikers do it as well, sort of have a bit of a wrestling match when the ball's coming their way. It's like a long goal kick or something like that. But he just seems to do it in just such a blatantly obvious way <laughs> where he's, he's just pushing someone just miles away from them. And the referee has no option but to award a free kick for that. Okay. I mean, if you look at Ricardo Santos, he's sort of pulling and tugging. So pushing them, but then also pulling them back to keep them close to him, if you know what I mean. And it's a little bit more disguised. And I think if Sweeney was to play alongside Michael Nelson, perhaps Michael Nelson might be able to say, look, just, just be a little bit more subtle with it in one way or another. Michael Nelson will know how to do it. I'm not a centre-back, so I won't know. But, I mean, at the same time, we can't say he has, he's got to play with Michael Nelson because I, I don't think it's worth dropping Santos for Sweeney. Um, but Sweeney's got a gob on him as well. Okay, I mean, he, could, he could talk himself into yellow cards. My problem isn't isn't actually with Sweeney. I know I've somehow made it sound like that. Um, it, that was just an example that I think would be most obvious to people because every mistake a centre-back... Well, not every, but most mistakes a centre-back makes result in goals conceded. Um, but... Oh, a much better example of a specific decision that Wesley's made, which I don't think anyone's a fan of, is, is Watson just seems to be undroppable. Um, Will, your thoughts? Um, I can see why Ryan Watson's in the team every week. And it's because, well, it's because of two things. It's 
One of them is that he's got boundless energy. Him and Curtis Weston can run up and down all day. And we're playing quite a high sort of pressing game, especially in the first half. You could see that against Carlisle United. Yeah, the players are on the, the on the Carlisle defenders all the time. You know, it, it requires a lot of energy. And I think that Wesley's highlighted or sort of realised that those two central midfielders together have, are the most energetic. They might not be the most skillful. And the second thing is also that, that you know, West Watson tries a lot of long balls. Now, in my opinion, he gets a lot of those long balls badly wrong where they just go into to nowhere. But one of the real successes of Wesley's tenure so far is that he's realised that high long ball over the top that John Kindy can run onto is absolutely critical to Barnett having any success. And it's, it's reinvigorated Kindy this season, really, apart from that penalty miss. He's looked a lot better in the last couple of games. So... There's method in his madness. Um, and if you think about who the alternatives are to, to pair with Weston in the central midfield, and you want that high-energy play, you know, Sewell, Fonguk, they're, they're kind of more, they seem more like players who kind of sit back and defend. Um, personally, I'd probably play Mauro Valletti in the middle if you want that instead of Watson, but that's that's my just my opinion. But I think the issue really is not the fact that he's starting every game. It's that he seems to be he, they want, he can't seem to be substituted. Everyone else can go off, but Watson seems to remain all the time till ninety minutes, even when he's not playing well. And I think that's a that maybe that's a slight problem. That's a criticism you can level at Wesley. But once again, I, I keep saying it: if you brought in the players that he clearly requires for his style of football at Christmas time, then you're not having to play Ryan Watson every week. You're playing another defender, another central midfielder who's got those attributes. So yeah, it's a criticism, but again if he wants to play that way what else can he work with um so you've touched one point there which i just want to quickly highlight because for me it's the one that's effectively unforgivable uh you've mentioned it's about it may be about energy if it's about energy mauro brings approximately the same amount of energy to a central midfield i know you've just said it but i just want to highlight that 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 one decision alone is just i cannot get my head around um however let's move on don't don't forget that he's not he's not um but that's he's not not playing mauro is he i mean he's over the last couple of games, he's, he's just playing him out wide. I know he's subbed him <laughs> off, but so he is still getting Valletti's energy somewhere in the team. If you ignore the fact that he, he probably should have played the whole ninety minutes, okay. It could it could be a tactical reason as well. I mean, Ryan Watson, you mentioned it there. Well, all he really offers is energy and a long ball. Um, Valletti, when he plays in the centre of midfield, he's he offers more than a long ball. He, he's a bit more of a dribbler. But I don't think Wesley really wants that. I don't think he wants players running through the midfield with the ball. They're more likely to lose it in key areas of the pitch and then be out of position. So I think he just wants Ryan Watson to get the ball, launch it long for Akinde to get on the end of. It's a law of averages. You play enough long balls, then Akinde's going to get on the end of them and we're going to get a chance if you play enough of them. Um, but also, I mean, yeah, you mentioned it. Who's the alternative? Who else do we have? Valete's more of a winger anyway. We've always pl- seen him as a winger. He's a very good midfielder, centrally as well. But he's more of a, a wide midfielder, if you were to ask him. He's a winger. Who else do we have that's going to offer the same? In, in situations like this, and forgive me if I'm... Again, I'm, I'm not watching the game, so I may be pulling plugs in my head that don't exist yet. But in a situation like this, you just play the best players where you need them to. So, you know, Mauro may give you a fantastic effort on the wing. But if you've got a central midfielder who's giving you energy in the middle but hoofing it long and losing the ball most of the time. Respectfully, Jonathan, I disagree. If if his job is, if um, Ryan Watson's job is to play long balls from the middle, again, this isn't based on what I've seen, this is just based on what, you know, what you've just said. If his job is to play long balls from the middle,
middle. I, I, it doesn't necessarily mean that the law, you know, the law of chance means that Kindy's going to get on the end of one of them. And in current form, who cares if Johnny Kindy gets on the end of one of them as well? You know, do, do you see what I mean? That there's 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 always some level of what if about these things, but it seems like. Well, if that's the plan, just you know, try Marrow in there and then put someone else on the wing. Maybe put Ryan Watson out on the wing. Use his energy mm. to cover half the pitch and use his long ball more as more of a cross than a long ball. Do you see what I mean? There's just all these yeah. things that we, no. could, we could talk about. I do, I do get what you mean, but I mean, you have a way of playing football. I have a way of playing football. Graham Wesley has a way of playing football. Wesley's more of a fan of no messing about. I'm not taking risks. If you get the ball deep in your own half, launch it long instead of dribbling it out. And yeah, I agree. Try Marrow in central midfield. He might be better than Ryan Watson, but is this really the right time to take that sort of risk? I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to it, to be fair. Even if he started a game with Marrow in central midfield and Ryan Watson out wide, like you just said, and if it's not working after 10, 15 minutes, then just swap him around. You might get a different idea. Maybe we'll be onto something there, but we're not in charge, so we've got no say. <laughs> That's, that's, the, that's the real travesty here. Um, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on because we're talking about Graham Wesley and I think we're naturally sort of progressing onto the players, but um, Tom, I think it was, or Will, was it you on the, on Twitter this week? Um, Tom was tweeting during the game. Fantastic. So Tom sent out to just saying to everyone that we'd be recording this pod and uh, we had, again, it, kind of, it, it boggles my mind. I say it every time, but it really does boggle my mind that four guys just chatting about football um, have so many people who kind of interact with us and so I'm very grateful for the people who sent in questions and we had loads of questions so Will do you want to pick out some of the questions I mean we got loads on Graham Wesley so while we're here we might as well uh, chuck in some some user input okay well then if we're going to go go Wesley might as well say Dan Bonham on Twitter has asked uh, if Graham Wesley were to remain at Barnet next season, regardless of league status, do you think he's the right man to bring the club forward and can he be trusted to build his own team? Um, Jonathan, do you want to answer that? Uh, yeah, I'll answer that. Uh, if he is in charge next season, he would be the right man to take us forward if he didn't have certain people above his head, such as the three directors of football. You need to give Graham Wesley full control over the team, if you ask me. Um, because you can see he's almost piecing it together with a a squad that isn't his, signings that aren't his. If he was allowed to bring in his own type of players, you can only imagine we're going to be better than what we are at the moment. In the division below, he has experience of it. Why Why would he be doing, why would he do bad in that league, if you know what I mean? Yeah. I think he, he could be the right man to take us forward, but that would only be such as Mark McGee, James Thorne, Matt Green. Are you going to keep them? If so, was Graham Wesley going to want to stay with them above him? I don't know. Fair enough. Um, Dan, thank you for your question. I hope that's given you one third of an answer, as in one third of us, or one quarter, because Tom's not here, but definitely has an answer. 100% Tom had something you wanted to say on it, on anything. Uh, Will, do you want to give us the next question? Um, yeah, in terms of Wesley, I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of very similar questions, really. It's all sort of revolving around, is he the best person for the job? And is he, um, you know, especially if we go down, I, I, I personally think you've absolutely nailed that, Jonathan. I think he is as long as he gets to put his own team together. Um, Dan Bonham also asked, um, sorry, he's at the top of the page, so that's why, why I'm starting with him. Um, <laughs> the pleasure is having a name that starts uh, with D, hey? Or a surname that starts with B as well. What does the future currently hold for Shaq Coolthurst? He's been living on the bench since Alex Nichols has been chosen instead to play up front with John Akindi. Okay, so well, we're going to play a 1-2 and I'm going to pass that back to you to answer. It, it's very difficult because f for me, and I've been banging on about this for god knows how long but john akindi plays best off a target man um he, his best spell for us was when he was playing with michael gash 
um, despite his size, and he can hold the ball up, what you want is you want Akindi running in behind the defenders. Wesley's realised this. Unfortunately, he doesn't have a target man at his disposal to play up front with Akindi. Um, so, so you've got this issue where Shaq Kulthus is a, is a really good striker, but in reality, he probably needs to be in that exact position John Akindi is, where you're playing off a big man. And I, I don't know what that means. I, I feel like potentially next season... If John Akindi moves on, and I think there's a there's a fairly good chance he might do, he'll be entering the final year of his deal. Then Coulthurst might naturally step into that role and and you know play off someone else. But of course, we're going to have Dave Tarby coming back as well, who looks like he's probably going to be very similar. Um, so I mean, it's not really much of an answer because I don't know. But what I do know is I don't think that those two are are a good pairing together, Coulthurst and Akindi. I think it's one or the other. I th- I think um, Coulthurst was dropped. I don't think his future's in any doubt. I think he, he will get plenty more game time at Barnet. In next season, whatever league we're in, I think he will be a key player. Um, but I think he was dropped mainly because he's, he's, he was not, he's not on form. Um, he hasn't scored since the 2-1 win over Newport. And that was in November. Um, that was like two managers ago. Or maybe it was Mark McGee was in charge. And, <laughs> but, he, <laughs> but he's like... He, he's not on form. And there was a game where I think it was... I think the final straw was Mansfield away, where he just wasn't doing what Graham Wesley was asking him to do. What Alex Nichols does is he, he has a good understanding of Johnny Kinde. And you were saying Johnny Kinde's best at when he's getting him beyond the defence and playing with a target man. I agree, and that is what we're doing. I suppose that's half the reason why Ryan Watson's in the side, so he can launch those long balls and he can get on the end of it. Because you can't really say Alex Nichols is one to hold the ball up and you know flick things on, can you? Alex Nichols does something different to Shaq Colthurst. So Colthurst wants the ball to feet all the time. He wants, He's actually a little bit like a target man in that he likes to play with his back to goal. Alex Nichols is different in the fact that Alex Nichols will be prepared to run in beyond the defence, latch onto three walls, and be. he likes to be facing the goal. The goal against Notts County, where it's just a long ball over the top, he had the pace to get in behind the defenders, and then that finish was superb. Colthurst, I mean, I'm sure he would be able to do that, but it, he probably wouldn't be screaming for the ball to be played over that the top like Alex Nichols was and the goal against uh, Accrington on the weekend that Alex Nichols scored would Cole Thurston have made that run? I don't know probably would have but <laughs> it's it, it, they off, they're slightly different in a way they play and maybe Cole Thurston just wasn't doing what Graham Wesley was asking him to do he tried Alex Nichols who, who would have done it it was, fun, it was funny actually as well I was after that Mansfield game I was thinking yeah drop Shaq he's not doing it at the moment but I was thinking put Akinola in and then all of a sudden, Alex Nichols was given a chance in the next game, and we all thought, oh, goodness me, and how I regret saying that now. He scored a goal that made you turn to a giddy little schoolgirl, so I don't think your criticism yeah. is allowed. <laughs> no, you yeah, were, you that were was... all aboard the Alex Nichols that... train. Do not lie to anyone. I'm still aboard the Alex Nichols train. Excellent. Best player. Best player yeah. on the squad right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Will, we had so many questions. Let's let's just cycle through a couple more. Yeah, um, there's I a want couple to more. That, it's great. There's a couple again which are very similar. Uh, Daniele Curso, um, he says, if we do go down, how long before we return to League Two? From what I can tell, fans seem to think it'll be a quick return, like under Allen. Bigger teams than before. Most of the squad will be picked off. In brackets, under Davids, we kept the core. I'm worried it'll take a minimum of four years. Um, and then... Uh, there's another very similar one. Uh, Natasha Louise Spawn says, are we in trouble in all aspects if we go down? So it's all revolving around relegation, I guess. Sure. Can I can I have one? Is that okay? Yeah, go for it. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> um, so in answer to um, 
the first half of the question from Duncan Young. It was Duncan Young, wasn't it, the first half? It was Daniele Accurso. Sorry, Daniele Accurso, sorry. Um, <laughs> great start, isn't it? This is, this is why I do my bit. Um, I don't know is the short answer, but I would imagine we would come up quicker than within four years. I, I wouldn't... I, we. We're a very good yo-yo club, and if you ask me, it seems like when we go down, um, we we tend to try and say this without sounding too critical. When we go down, we take things a bit more seriously, um, and we focus very heavily on getting ourselves back into the league. And then when we're in the league, we get very complacent. It's just what we do. It's like it's like our cycle. It's ridiculous. So I'm not. I, I can't. I don't know whether it will take four years, but based on what I've just said, I think it will be quicker. And then it was Natasha Louise Spawn was the second part of the question. Yeah, are we in Excellent. trouble in all aspects if we go down? Excellent. I got. I got a name right, which is you know better than usual. Um, I think we're in trouble in all aspects at the moment. Uh, it is the the sh- long and short of that one. I think we we have fans. I'm talking about fans separately, sorry, because I'm kind of drawing on my time at the Hive. But when when I was working at the Hive, the fans were on the other side of the fence, and they often criticised us on many different things. So criticism of tea huts at half time, criticism of the bars at half time, criticism of ticket prices, um, criticism of style of play, criticism of results, atmosphere, etc., and so on. The list continues. I'm not going to bore everyone. But to me, whether you're in the league or not in the league, those are signs that the club is in trouble in some way. You know that that. We are I, I, different clubs have different um, environments, if you like, or just different things about them. And for us, I think it's just there's just this constant sort of negativity and and um, not so much a lack of faith because I don't I, I don't want to blame fans or anyone for having a lack of faith because the club just does spit in people's face time and time again. But I just want to say that to me that is the problem. Like that is you know we talk about having a problem if we go down, but here we are in League Two. Um, whether we were whether we're safe pushing for promotion or, or whatnot um if the team aren't doing well which masks other problems i think you can see there's quite a few problems at the club um so yeah i think that's irrelevant to to relegation or not can i can i also have a, have a crack at that one of this yeah, all right of course you can. Um, i think that if we go down um i wouldn't expect it to be too long before we go back up again we we did we do tend to invest like you said staffy when we go into the conference um and I could see us bouncing back within a year or two. Um, I mean, obviously, a lot of the time, yeah, it's very difficult to get that top spot. So, science, it depends on how you do in the playoffs. You know, Grimsby kept losing in the playoffs, but fundamentally, they were doing the right things each year. They were at least getting into the top five. Um, but And I don't think we're in... It's all about how you define trouble, isn't it? So, financially, I don't think we're in trouble at all if we go down. You know, the hive is, is profitable. The chairman keeps putting the money in, at least to sustain a team that can go up from the conference but yeah the more the other issues surrounding the club are are the difficult it's the difficult area really isn't it you know we're not growing the fan base um it feels like kind of atmosphere and attendance is a dwindling there's there's something kind of wrong isn't there but it's one of those things where it's very hard to put your finger on exactly where it is and in fact it kind of leads us quite neatly <laughs> into one of the other questions we got which is um someone says do you, uh, it's Ben, Benji1012, says, do you think it's time for a change in the more important people at the club, in brackets, chairman and so forth? Quite a, quite a big question, I guess. Can I can I come in here again? Is that okay? Jonathan, is that going to be okay or are you going to hate me? Uh, you can go. I've got something to say, but yeah, you, got, you go first. Thank you. Um, I think it's very difficult, particularly for the chairman, to hang up. He really, really loves the club. He is 
emotionally attached to the club in ways that people can't imagine um, but I do think the club needs to be run in a different way I really do believe that um, things that I can't go into on the pod but definitely I think the club needs to be run in a different way I think there needs to be a mu- much more input from the fans uh, I think this era of like faux transparency with the Q&A's which I loved because for the most part it was a bit of a joke same question same answer I think that needs to end so I, I really I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a t- time to change the people per se uh, I think it's definitely a time to change how the club is run, 100%. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that. I don't. I can't see the chairman ever leaving at any point soon. He is way too invested in the club. Um, he's. We're still developing this new stadium that we've moved into. He's putting a new stand in. Um, lots of things are changing. Uh, you know, and it's more than just the football club, the Hive. It's a whole. It's a whole business. It's a whole project. You know, you got restaurant there. You got state of the art training pitches. We're trying to grow the academy as well. It, it's there's too much of a long vision for the chairman that he's not going to suddenly go. I can't. I, I've had enough of this. I'm going to leave. It, that's not going to happen. But yeah, the club needs to be run in a different way and it, more of a change in important people at the club. I, I don't know if that's referring to what I've already mentioned, the three directors of football. I, I just don't see the point in them, uh, it, quite frankly. Sorry, I, I didn't touch on that, but yeah, 100%. Like this, I'm a huge fan of the director of football model. I actually think it's nuts that it's not more widespread, but definitely having three people who essentially have different aspects of the director of football role is a joke. Like it's, I mean, that's actually symptomatic of what I was talking about. We just run like a joke in many ways. And, you know, We'll go from having three directors of football in this era to having like none in the next one. And then the manager we give autonomy to whether it's Wesley or not will then get sacked and we'll go back to like scrabbling for as many director of footballs as possible it's just, that, that's exactly what I mean like that's that's the sort of thing that's a joke that means we, I don't think we'll progress um, well, that, that's, that's go on Will go on no I was just going to say I mean I know we don't really agree on the director of football idea <laughs> but uh, I think just keep you know keep it simple don't have uh, I, I just think this whole structure is fundamentally is one of the real fundamental problems with the way things have gone this season in fact I would say it probably is the most fundamental problem with the way things have gone this season. Keep it simple, pay the money and get a top quality manager. You know, I, I, I think this is a flaw that a lot of clubs have. Whatever a good manager costs, pay it. If that's the cost of two good players, just pay it because the manager is so critical to your success. Um, so, you know, put the investment in, get whatever the best manager you can at your level and give him the funds and let him go and do it. And it's that simple. Get rid of any head of recruitment, where you know wherever it is just get rid of all of them and have a simple (laughs) manager chairman relationship um and put your faith in someone that you know is qualified for the job because his cv says that he is and i I just think if we'd done that at the beginning of the season we wouldn't be where we are now it's that simple i fundamentally disagree but i think that's a debate that we can have for an hour or two in the summer when there's nothing else to talk about and people (laughs) choose to not download that there (laughs) were Um, I will. Do you, I've mentioned Duncan Young. I know he had a question in there because I was I was peeking at it as I said as I said his name. So I feel bad if we don't mention his question. So well, if you could dig out that question for me, that'd be great. And then if you had any other questions that you thought we should give a go into, let's let's go uh, let's go through those quickly and then we'll move. I think on to it's next. I think it's the it's the two. Yeah, it's um, Duncan Young saying, "Can we ban any supporters who ask for Martin Allen back?" That's probably why it caught my eye. I think I just saw Martin Allen in there and, and it just caught my eye. If that's the um, case, I've got to leave then. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I think the Martinelli, I think his era is probably over at the club. I don't imagine there's any situation where he is going to come back. I'd never, you never say never because he's come back so many times. But I, I think in many ways we might have a manager that's that's quite similar now. So I'm not sure yeah. talk of Martinelli is that relevant at the moment. Yeah, to be honest, I, I don't have a problem with Graham Wesley at all at the moment. He's doing he's doing a good job in my eyes with what he's got. And Martin Allen, I don't think, would be doing any different to what Graham Wesley's doing right now. So effectively, we've got the same manager, just in different bodies. I would, I'm not a betting man, but if you gave me a free bet, I'd say Martin Allen's going to come back one day. I, I can't, you know, it's just, it's something about he'll, isn't there. He'll be our next director of football. <laughs> Um, so yeah so thank you Duncan Young for that question and thank you to everyone else who's given us questions are there any more that um, you wanted to pick out, uh, pull out Will? Yeah so just very briefly Jim yeah. Jim Kavanagh who's a regular or we, he asked about when we when we get rid of Graham Wesley but I think we've already answered that we've all kind of Wait wait what was the question? Kind of, I, I, I can get behind this what, what was the question? Well he, he said at what point do we jettison Graham Wesley when we lose again from a winning position when relegations are mathematical certainty when he doesn't start Mauro or Jack at the weekend when we're outside the conference playoffs at Christmas next season, so it's a it's quite an extreme viewpoint. But. I mean, I I I look what the points he's touched on there. I don't think they're Graham Wesley's fault. Yeah, not starting Maro and Jack Taylor in the next game or whatever. But it, well, he's been starting Maro in the last two. I hope he's going to start in the next game. Jack Taylor, yeah, okay, I'd like to see him start a little bit more often. But then, I mean, what when we lose again from a winning position? I think that's more of a, the problem of the players and not Graham Wesley's fault. I think that's just the players we have, their heads drop as soon as something bad happens on a pitch like a missed penalty or a city individual error. The heads drop and we can't focus and we go panic mode and then it all goes wrong. Um, so I don't think that's Graham Wesley's fault at all. Uh, and like we've all said, I don't think it, uh, Graham Wesley leaving, I don't think any, any of us are on board with that. Yep, that's fair. Um, Last, should we do last question? I oh, guess, is, which yeah. is excellent. There is one. Let's go for it. Yeah, uh, it's pretty much. Uh, to be honest, the question essentially is from a couple of different supporters. Sam Collins says it, and John Lewis says it in a different way. It's really, are we going to stay up? I guess that's the the crux of it. Um, in a word, then, will in a word, yes or no? I can I can actually hear from here your brain saying yes, your heart saying no. It's, it's a no, and I, I I do think that we've given ourselves the best possible chance of staying up uh, with the manager we've appointed. I think we're going to have to really sort of hold our nerve because if you look at the fixtures and the way they pan out, you've got a, a run in uh, from the Friday, March the 30th, where you go Crew Alexandra, Stevenage, Forest Green, Grimsby, Newport, Morecambe, Chesterfield. And if we can get things right, an awful lot of our points are going to potentially come in that run. So I think it's going to be a case of, you know, even if hope, all hope looks like it's lost, we might have to just kind of cling on to some for a bit longer. But I just think we've got to win approximately half our games to stay up. I think that's probably the reality of it. And I'm not sure that this squad, whether it's mentally or in terms of ability, is quite good enough to do that. But I think we'll come close. Jonathan, uh, I'll give you, I wasn't saying a word, but in a sentence, because we'll add a couple of sentences. In a sentence, are we staying up, yes or no? Oh, <laughs> uh... I'd love to say yes, but no. And I don't think that's Graham Wesley's fault. I think it's mistakes of people who've been at the club all season and perhaps even beyond it. Um, the, the recruitment was bad. Uh, we haven't got the right players to necessarily stay up. But again, my answer to this question changes minute by minute. One minute I'm thinking, yeah, we can stay up if we get a good run going. It's so much easier to say than do, though, isn't it? And our luck this season has been we'll play 
we'll play Chesterfield on the last day of the season and we'll score a last-minute own goal and we'll relegate ourselves. <laughs> That's the sort of luck that we've got at the moment this season. So I don't actually know what's going to happen. Um, I'm going to say yes and no to that question if I can. Oh, OK. Interesting. <laughs> um, I don't say, know. I'm going to say we're not staying up. And I think because we were just such a shambles over the, the deep winter period, that sort of January, December-ish time was just a shambles. Um, thank you, everyone, for your questions. Um, I keep saying it and I will continue to say it. It's really weird in my head that we have people who kind of want to talk to us about football. And it's really interesting to have some interactions. So I'm very grateful. So thank you. Um, you can follow us at Barnet, Barnet underscore podcast um, on Twitter. And like I said, there is now a website, but it's not quite finished yet. So don't judge us too hard. It's officersclubpod.com. Um, maybe one last little bit, then we'll wrap up. Um, we've alluded to it the entire time so we'll talk about the signings can I just say one thing before I hand over to you guys and I'm going to basically shut up and, and just sit back for the rest of the pod if anyone wonders why Barnet Football Club seems to struggle to sign players when it's a, so clear that we need certain players look at the case of Fuad Sewell and, and just ask yourself if you're a professional football player earning not a huge huge amount of money over a career that's potentially going to last what 15 years He's the perfect example of why you would avoid Barnet Football Club at all costs. So they need a defensive midfielder all summer. They say to you, come on, join. For whatever reason, it doesn't get done in that summer. You finally get to move in the winter window, so less than six months later. And when you move, you go immediately onto the bench and basically are headed out of the club. And people can wonder why Barnet Football Club struggles in the transfer window. That right there is inexcusable and the perfect reason why within football circles, Barnet Football Club is not the club you want to go to. And I'm, I'm very rarely so pointed with my criticism, but that is an example that I can't believe more fans haven't picked up on because it has such huge ramifications. It's not just that we've signed someone always oh, a bit of a waste of money, blah, blah, blah. Think about that. If you're an agent and you're looking at this club that's potentially going down, needs a defensive midfielder, signs one and immediately benches him slash has him on his way out. Just think of the ramifications within football circles that that holds. It's, it's incomprehensibly stupid. It's shooting yourself in the foot like three or four times over. Um, that's me done. I'm going to sit back now. Um, Will, the signings, you, you mentioned it quite a few times. Jonathan, you have as well. Uh, I'm just going to start with you, Will, in terms of this not being Wesley's fault and uh, the squad is obviously just not good enough at the moment. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's, a, it's an absolute mess, isn't it, in terms of getting players in into the club. Um, you've got a manager who we know plays a certain style. Um, he will undoubtedly have you know, gone to the board and, and or gone to you know, whoever it is he's talking to and uh, you, you wanted players who fit that. You know, clearly every Wesley team plays with a you know a big, sizable target man. One didn't arrive. Experienced leaders needed for a relegation battle. None, none of them arrived. Um, there's there's big problems with recruitment, and it's something that that needs to be corrected as soon as possible. Because if you look at it, Tin Plavatic. Um, yeah, you know, I mean he's not getting in the well, he's not getting in the starting lineup and Dan Sweeney is and Dan Sweeney isn't a defender. So that might tell you all you need to know there. Um okay, Leg was brought in as a you know backup goalkeeper. Jordan Nicholson, he seems to have some kind of ability, but he um he does look very lightweight and again he's not someone to impose himself on the game, you know, like you might need at this stage in the in the relegation battle that we're in. Um I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with Fuad. So what I would say is that it might not be something that's endemic about Barnet, and it's more about Barnet this season, because 
you know, teams that are in that are in a relegation battle, this happens with an awful lot of them, where they change change manager quite frequently because things aren't going well. Um, don't forget, if Saul arrived in theory during the the Martin Allen era, which was relatively long lasting by modern standards, um, we wouldn't this issue wouldn't exist. So it, it's not. I don't. I don't know if it's specific to Barnet as a club as it is Barnet in the situation we found ourselves in. Um, but whatever it is, we need to sort of rip up the book and start again because this isn't how you this isn't how you run a club, and it's certainly not how you run a club if you want to be successful. Jonathan, you've also been very clear throughout, and I give you credit. You've said that Graham Wesley isn't the problem. The problem is is the recruitment, is the players that he has available to him. I mean, this is you know the chance for you to sort of elaborate on that. What's 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 he doing right that he's being let down on by this squad? Um, we got three directors of football. Not one of them could get a sign-in right, really, could they, in January? Um, Phil Adsall was signed in the summer under Rossi Eames. Height wasn't so much of an issue with Rossi Eames, was it? All, all the game was played on the deck. It was nice passing football. It was attractive to watch. I've seen, what is it, 20 minutes or so of Phil Adsall? Maybe about half an hour at Crawley. He was okay. He wasn't as good as Curtis Weston. Very, very, very small. Uh, he can't help that. He always... He looked to be picking up good defensive positions. He looked like he could. He can. He has a reading of the game. He can understand where to be at the right place at the right time, perhaps. Um, so it's definitely a talented player there. But I mean, he's playing with he's playing with players like Santos and Sweeney, Akinde, just big lumps who are. He's just not going to get looking, is he? Until we have a damp squib game where we're not going to have one for the rest of the season. Every game from now on to the end of the season is a cup final. Um, so it's, it's going to be too much of a risk to play him from Graham Wesley's point of view. Um, Tim Plavatic, I mean, we needed a experienced centre-back. He's 20 years old. He's, he's not experienced, is he? He, he? I mean, he's got the height. He's got the size. Um, he came on very briefly towards the end of the Notts County game. And that's all I've seen on it of him. I mean, I remember watching him in the warm-up just after he signed in the game against Mansfield away. And he was actually doing the shooting practice with all the attacking players uh, before the game. He was the one pitting them into a top corner every single time. Lovely finishes on him. Um, better than the the attacking players on the bench who were missing the target all day long in that training drill. Um, and I've seen him doing keepy-uppies the other night on the bench at half-time um, in a game against Carlisle. When he looks to have good feet for, for a big man. Sorry for using that cliche, but right. then... Everyone here. <laughs> but then, I mean, what I saw of him against uh, Notts County, he came on for like last two minutes and within 30 seconds nearly gifted Notts County a goal because he got the ball tangled up in his feet. So it's different where there's no pressure on you when you're just doing a warm-up or a casual shooting practice. So where you're actually in a game situation, being closed down is something different. Um, so maybe he isn't the right answer. From my understanding as well, in the game last night in the Middlesex Senior Cup, he didn't play too well from what I've heard uh jordan nicholson there's a player there i like the look of him but, but yeah he's a little bit too lightweight he he tries to get in the game and he always starts really lively and he something i said before we came on air was uh he he often finds himself in a quite a good attacking shooting position um but he doesn't have the necessary composure to tuck them away at this level anyway he had quite a good goal scoring record for Naniton earlier this season i think actually in the conference i hope they're in the conference i hope we got that right but he's got a good goal scoring record for them so he can score goals and maybe in the conference next season for us i 
I'm not saying we're going to be there, but maybe if we do go down, he might be one of the players to really shine next season. Um, but yeah, he's a little bit too lightweight at the moment. He's so easily shrugged off the ball. Um, and we need players who could be able to keep hold of the ball, obviously. Uh, George Legg was signed to be a backup to Craig Ross, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, I that's, that's it. That's, that, um, that surprised Tom, but I thought I thought we were all aware that Leg was only being signed as a backup. But, you know, yeah, the, Tom's not the to injury to, himself, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call him out while I get the chance. The injury to Jamie Stevens, from my understanding, is is a is worse than first feared. Um, so he might be out for a little while, even though he was on the bench in the Middlesex Senior Cup. I don't know if that was just to put him on the bench and hope that he doesn't need to play uh, just to maybe be a number, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I don't think he's going to be featuring uh, anytime soon. So George Legg was signed uh, as just as a plain backup, really. I haven't seen anything of him, so I can't really comment on him. Um, but we haven't signed what we needed to sign, and that was experienced players in every single position. That's fair. I think we uh, <laughs> there's only so many different times and so many different ways we can say that recruitment has been a, a massive failing point this season. Um, and I, I can't... I can't remember which one of the two of you said it, so I apologise. But yeah, we have three directors of football, and between them, they didn't manage to make the signings. It's 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 odd, isn't it? I keep wanting to say words that I know I can't say on a pod, but <laughs> which is why I'm strumbling stumbling through these words. But yeah, it's just it's terrible. Three directors of football, and, and the signings were nowhere near good enough uh, in the winter window, which was a good opportunity for us. Um, I think we're almost done. Will, did you have anything else you want to touch on before we uh, start to wrap up? No, I think we've we've covered it all, really, haven't we? Yeah, this is probably going to be another epic. Um, so at least now we know that Tom isn't the problem. It's going to be one of you two. Um, I'm going to try and put it that way, and then no one notices that it could well be me. Um, Jonathan, did you have anything you want to cover or bring up or highlight before we uh, say, goodnight, say goodbye for the night? Yeah, I'm going to point out that it's probably my fault that we're going on for so long because I've got something else to say. Uh, just... <laughs> just on those three directors of footballs that you were just talking about I don't understand what planet you need to be on to think that that makes sense because the three directors of football all doing the same job that probably said right we're going to sign this player and someone else said no I don't think they're that good so they're all just undermining each other that's probably why we haven't signed the right players I mean we're being a bit disingenuous because we know that they're not three directors of football Uh, in fact I don't think any of them has the actual title director of football Right, so uh, there's one who's head of recruitment, which is probably more of an embarrassment on on that side. One who's head of football operations, chief operating officer for the football department, I think it is. And one who is technical director of football or something like that. But yeah, technical advisor. That's right. Yeah, something like that. But you know. With a pinch of salt, we can say they're directors of football, and definitely between the three of them, someone had a job title or a job responsibility rather to, to sign players that we need in winter to get us out of the mire. But uh, yeah, I think we're slightly pushing it to say that there's three directors of football. They all do the same job anyway, don't they? And that's the point. That's I, I don't think they're supposed to. I just think that football men like to argue over territory, don't they? Yeah, I suppose so. But they're all <laughs> in charge of recruiting in one way or another, and they all have their own opinions on who we should sign and who we shouldn't sign. And that's probably why the January transfer window was such a shambles. Here's how I envisage it in my head. If you met any of them after a pint in a bar after the game, they'd happily tell you, yeah, I'm in in charge of signings. I've got got power at the club. And when it comes to to, uh, a February interview after signing no one in January, they'll all say, not in my job description, someone else's. Will, you you could be spot on there. Before I got sacked. I was just going to say, I don't think it matters, really. I mean, the reality is we don't really know now how the cl- exactly how the club operates you know, on the inside. But 
regardless of how it operates, the players didn't come, so they're doing it wrong. I don't, you, know, you don't need to lay blame at an individual person for it, any one of the sort of three three people it could be, but whoever's responsible, you know, it's up to the chairman now to, to change that and make sure that the same thing doesn't repeat itself. Disgustingly holistic from you, Will, but I suppose such a positive note that I cannot refuse to end the pod uh, on that positive, one, positive note as opposed to the moaning that we've put forth. So... Um, one final time I want to say thank you to everyone who has tweeted us not just questions for this uh, pod but in general um, people who are following us um, thank you it's really really again really exciting really cool to have people alongside us Will do you want to say goodbye? yeah uh, just say thanks to everyone for listening uh, tune in to Jonathan and I if you if you listen to Bees Player for commentary of the Colchester game on Saturday and um, if you want to follow me on Twitter do, do so at WillGEvans1 I always get that wrong, but this time I think I managed to get it right. It is Woody Evans' one. Well done. Good stuff. Jonathan? Yeah, exactly the same, really. Tune in on Saturday uh, to hear me and Will commentate on the Colchester game. Um, and if you have any more questions or any more just want to chat on Twitter or anything like that, then send me messages at Jonathan Blakey. Uh, Jonathan is the usual spelling. Blakey is B-L-A-K-I-E. Um, and yeah, I'm sure we'll be back before the end of the season for sure um, one thing I just wanted to open up like a question to our viewers uh, listeners not viewers listeners um, we've on Twitter I put out um, a post-match report by Jonathan uh, so what we do when we don't like for example I wasn't at the game on Tuesday Jonathan and Tom as I've alluded to earlier uh, send me a voice note in WhatsApp just to sort of tell me what happened give me the the match report in, in essence if people are interested in in, uh, in having those to listen to the morning after a game the evening after a game whenever let us know and if there's enough um, demand for it or enough people want it then um, we can look into editing those and, and sending those out um, again our twitter is twitter.com barnet underscore podcast there's a, a website that's nearly ready officersclubpod.com I've been Stath and you can find me at eastdevaros.com on Twitter uh, eastdevaros on Twitter can't believe I'm the one who's made the Twitter mistake no uh, and that's it Good night, everyone thank you very much for listening thank you okay cool great